as well. We're just going to begin in worship.
please stand for our call to worship from Job 38, verses 22 to 30. In these verses, God speaks to remind Job of his indescribable greatness. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone when the surface of the deep is frozen.
guess that would be me, huh? <laughs> Will you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this glorious day you've given us to come together and worship you, and especially now with such a trying week that we've had uh, with multiple power outages and, and water loss and water damage and just uh, everything that's been going on this week. It's, it's just a great feeling to know that, that you're there for us and that you bring us through all those things and you bring us together to worship you uh, today, Lord. So we just ask that, that you make your presence known today, Lord. Just make your, your presence shine through the words that we sing and that we study, Lord. And uh, in the note of what I was saying earlier, we just want to take a moment to silently confess our shortcomings and, and our failures to you this week um, as we turn our attention towards you, Lord. So again, Lord, thank you for, for blessing us and keeping us um, safe and uh, keeping your hand of protection around all of us and, and getting us through these trying times and just reminding us that everything happens according to your will and according to your word, Lord. So uh, as we turn our attention towards you, Lord, we just thank you for all the many blessings you pour out on us. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray, Lord. Amen.
be seated. I'm going to read uh, this morning from uh, the book of Psalms, and uh, some of what we're going to read is in the next song that we're going to sing as well. So this is from Psalm 46, uh, verses 8 through 10. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks, breaks the bow and shatter, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Father God, we've, uh, we've had a difficult week, Father God, thank you, uh, but I was truly amazed at the way you worked through this church and this people that I know. Father God, I was humbled 
to see people in need and people respond to that need. Father God, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for using us as your hands and your feet in a time of trial, in a time of need. As people were suffering, you worked through us, through many of us, Father God. And uh, we'll have many, we've shared many stories already about what we went through and how we helped each other. And that's what church is all about, Father God. That's what you are all about. Thank you for your love and your mercy. And today we ask that you speak through Tom and you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear your word so that may, we may continue to be your hands and feet to a lost and hurting world. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hope. It's good to have you with us. And let's see. Wow. What a week. Um, is, is what? Yeah, no, some of us are still out of our uh, homes waiting for water to get turned back on and et cetera. Um, but uh, just, wow. Um, and who gets fired? I just want to know that. Who at the state level gets fired? I just want somebody, somebody's going down for this. That's all I got to say. The weatherman? Nah, who cares? If you still listen to that person, you have a problem. But, uh, oy vey. And, uh, you know, thank you to the Hope family for all of your care and concern for each other in the midst of all this. Um, I know that uh, many of you were reaching out to each other just to find out, are they okay? And um, I think a lot of, there was a lot of, care and response in the wake of all this, and it's good to see uh, our church being healthy and alive and caring for each other. So um, to that end, if you have any prayer requests or anything that you can communicate with us on this little piece of paper or through our website, uh, please do so. Let us know how we can be in prayer for you. Also a good time to remind you of the kids printable that uh, is following along with our sermon series. So uh, this will um, take up the themes of each week that we are studying in Scripture in little activities that are age-appropriate for little ones uh, so they can just grab some crayons and have some fun and y'all can be on the same page uh, in terms of what we're studying, which leads me to uh, Tuesday nights. We have our Zoom Bible study with two available options. Um, I had no... I had no internet and no cell phone service on Tuesday night. Who knew they can take out your cell phone towers with a power outage? I had, I did not see that coming. And so, I, you know, we're just, we're like, we got nothing. We got no power, no water, no cell phone service, no internet. It was weird. And we were just kind of looking at each other like, um, what do we, what did my parents do? When they didn't have all this stuff at the, you know, at the tip of their fingers. Uh, so we got out the backgammon board, and we played a lot of backgammon. And, uh, and Kathy would like me to tell you that she won the last day we played backgammon. She won. So that's, we may never play again. <laughs> She's retiring as the champion. 
Um, but uh, all right. Um, yeah, so Tuesday night, I, I wasn't there. <laughs> I was in the dark, literally. Um, but if you can zoom in on Tuesdays at 7, uh, we will be there on our Zoom channel, and we will study Scripture together. This week, we'll be looking at the books of Job and the collection of the Psalms. And so there's also a reading assignment that went out by email, and then it will go out by text message every morning at 7 a.m. because that's when Helen's drinking her coffee and wants to know what the scripture of the day is. That's right. And uh, overachiever back there, she texted me last week, I think it was, and uh, she's like, I'm reading, this, these readings are the same thing I read last week. And I, 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 I'm like, oh no, I sent out the wrong set of, you know, so I go back and I look, I'm like, no, she was reading ahead, like, <laughs> yeah, because you were in like Second Chronicles when you texted me that for the second time. That's like Fourth Chronicles. Yeah, nobody wants that. Um, all right, so are we doing youth group tonight? Are we youth grouping tonight? Okay, so we may, we'll let youth parents know. We may take a pause and reconvene next week. Um, so, all right, we will communicate that to the people that it matters to. Then our, our crawfish boil uh, would have been uh, a crawfish freeze. Um, so we've moved that to sometime in March. Sun, uh, let's see. We'll figure it out. We'll let you know. Yeah, but it was, it, we, we, last Friday, this past Friday night, would, it would have been a terrible idea. Um, so we didn't do that. Um, and then after, after the service, a week from today, we're going to have a brief congregational meeting. We're going to give you just the, kind of the skinny on 2020 giving and, and spending and show, show you where we are financially. So there's a financial update. And then we have a, a proposal for a, an improvement that we would like to do that we want to get your buy-in on. So uh, we'll talk about that, and um, it shouldn't be a long meeting, I don't think. But uh, that's the plan. I'll see you. That'll be on Zoom uh, or in person, either one, after church a week from today. And then on Easter Sunday, April the 4th, we're going to actually have a sunrise service outside uh, because we can. Yeah, because it's outside. And that's, I think that's okay. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of uh, low-key, but, um, you know, for those of you who are up at sunrise anyway, Mike, yes. Plus the regular service, Plus the regular service at, at whatever time, 1015. Yes, we're still going to do that. All right. Any questions? All right. Let's pray. Father God, um, <laughs> wow. Uh, the, the power that you built into nature uh, 
we, we stand in awe of you. And we thank you, Lord, that in the face of that power, there is a greater strength that is ours in Christ. And we thank you for that blessing, that grace that is ours in spite of the fact that we are sinful. We confess to you our sins. We give you those things which stand between our relationship with you and our relationships with others. And we thank you for the mercy and grace that are ours through Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift up those who are continuing uh, to suffer as a result of recent weather uh, and water and power failures, and we just pray that you would be at work through your people to take care of the needs that are out there. Uh, We pray especially for Troy Gibson And just pray your healing mercies over his leg in the wake of that fall. And we just pray for Lindsay and the kids that you would pour out your grace and your peace upon their hearts in the midst of so much that is going on in their world. And so we just lift that family to you and thank you for all the service that they pour out to Christ here at Hope. And we pray that it would be um, manifest to them through the care and love of your people and the presence of your Holy Spirit in their hearts. And Lord, we lift up those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or accidents or uncertain, facing uncertain diagnoses, and we just pray your healing mercies over your people. We lift up those who are recovering from water damage, etc., and we just pray that you would resolve those situations quickly and pour out your peace and your love upon their hearts in the midst of it all. Lord, we lift up this nation at every level of government. We lift up our leaders, elected and appointed. We pray your wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform, and we pray your protection over them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those military families that are separated from each other due to their service to our country. And we pray for your peace and your strength where it is needed there. We lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of the missionaries that we are connected to, uh, Paula Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala and John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas, and Pastor Miguel and Tatiana in Camajuani, Cuba at our sister church, and Pastor Patchy in Maryland, Quesada, in Havana, Cuba. We lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd in their ongoing ministry in Lebanon, and we lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey in the Middle East. And we just pray your grace and the, the growth of your kingdom in those parts of the world. We also lift up the church plants in Texas that we support in Katy, Texas, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray your blessing over those young works of your spirit in those places. We pray that you would be with us now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit as we open your word. Speak to us. Grow us into the men and women of God that you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are in the midst of a sermon series that's just covering the whole Bible. All of it. Um, And uh, So we're calling it Run Through the Bible, and we're moving through at a fairly rapid clip 
Um, just depending on the lengths of the books and questions, maybe this week two books, some weeks one book, some weeks six books. It just depends. There's a week coming when there'll be 12 books and one Sunday. 12 and one. That's like, you got to be here for that. Zoom in. 12 for one. You can't beat it. Um, what's that? It's a sale. It's a, it's a sale. Although God's word is not for sale. Don't Okay, um, so <laughs> where was I? Um, so we started in Genesis, and we looked at the, the promise of God as it was exhibited in the four big events at the beginning of Genesis, and then we looked at how that promise was distilled down to one couple uh, who were barren. And that that promise was realized through a miracle mom, Sarah, who gave birth to the son of the promise, Isaac, and how God's promise remains with his people through miraculous circumstances. God always manages to continue the thread of his promise through every page of the Bible. And so we've looked at the period of the beginnings. We looked at the period of Moses and leading God's people out of bondage in Egypt and toward the promised land. Then we looked at the, the book of Joshua coming into the promised land and then the period of the judges taking uh, spiritual care of God's people in the promised land. And then we looked at the period of the kings and what a mess that is when you give uh, absolute power to one human being, uh, you, can, you can basically guarantee the outcome. There were um, you know, numerous kings and maybe a handful that were decent human beings. And then that period ended badly in what we call exile. The, the country of Israel and the country of Judah, which had separated in civil war, were overrun by foreign armies, and all of their uh, power, their wealth, and their intelligence was carried off to foreign lands. And, and it looked as if the promise was dead. It, it looked at that period of history as if the promise of God was gone, that it had been wiped off the face of the earth. And we saw in, in, those, in those books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther how God demonstrated to his people that the promise was not dead, that even in the wake of our sin and our bad decisions and the consequences thereof, God's promise still stands. And so this week we take an interesting look. We're looking at uh, some portions of scripture that are considered the poetry books. Um, this is the book of Job and the book of Psalms. And these don't have a particular time period in the history of redemption like other books of the Bible do. Um, and so we're going to look at these two books as works of divine poetry or divinely inspired poetry is a better way to put it. And look at how these two books of scripture call us to worship God. That this idea that you know, we, we might be tempted to worship God when things are good and perhaps tempted to not worship God when things are bad. That gets turned on its head by the book of Job 
as we open this chapter of Scripture, chapter 1 of the book of Job, um, we find a man who has everything. He has a solid, active, living faith in the one true God. He has a wonderful family, a home. Uh, his kids have grown. He has herds, which is how you measured wealth in the time of Job. He had herds of animals, and he'd been able to set his kids up with houses and their own herds. And he was a man of influence, and when, when he spoke, people listened. And then one day, well, you will read about that, um, the evil one, the deceiver, comes to the presence of God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? This is one of the most disturbing interactions in Scripture for me personally. Um, not, that I, not that I think God would say to Satan, have you considered my servant Tom? Satan would go, yeah, yeah, and and uh, the demon I assigned to him is on the beach in Jamaica with a pina colada. And because uh, Tom does a perfectly good job of uh, doing my job for me. Um, so, uh, you know, we can retire there. But because God is not afraid of anything. He, he is not afraid of anything. Even, even death. And so God tells Satan, have your way. Take everything from Job. And this happens in a couple of uh, episodes, but after chapter 2, you, you will see that Job has literally lost everything. And so, well, I'll, let's just open. I'm going to take you into the book of Job. This is the realization that the promise of God calls us to worship him, and it calls us to worship him even in the face or the realization of our deepest fears. The promise of God is greater than our deepest fears. This is the truth of Job, that we are called to worship God in every situation of life. Uh, we're first going gonna, gonna to just look at a passage from chapter 1. The message there is that we are to keep the perspective of the promise before us at all times. That this is something God wants us to, to give shape to how we live, to how we look at the world, to how we respond to good, bad, and ugly in our own lives. So from chapter 1 of the book of Job, verses 20 through 22, this is after Job has lost all of his children. They've all died in, a, in an accident. And all of his herds to raiding, marauding uh, tribes who've come in and stolen everything. And this is before he loses his health, but you'll, it's the same theme. So here we go. Job 1.20 and following. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked. I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Um, the point of this passage is not that, that you should never that you would never be tempted to charge God with wrong. I've done it. You've probably done it. Um, 
This is part of our nature. The point of this passage is that Job had done nothing to deserve what happened to him. He had not um, sinned in any, in any grotesque way. He had not uh, transgressed God's will. In fact, he was a, he was a God-fearing, God-loving soul, and the bottom still fell out. But we are to take away from Job's response to, the, to his circumstances this idea that the promise gives perspective to every situation in our lives. We are to worship God even in the face of the realization of our deepest fears. We're to keep the perspective of the promise before us, and we're to hold to the hope of the promise of God. So Job, from this point, he, he, Satan goes back to God, and God was like, well, did Job curse me? Did he deny me? And Satan's like, no, but you left him with his health. God's like, great, take his health, make him miserable, make him as sick as he can possibly be. You just can't take his life. And so then Job, who's lost everything, becomes gravely ill. And in, in the wake of his illness, three of his friends, or four, ultimately, come to visit him. And uh, this does not go well. They come, and they are convinced that God is pouring out his wrath on Job. That, Job, look, all you need to do, buddy, is just repent. Tell God you're sorry, and he'll let up. And Job's like, mm, I don't think that's how it works, guys. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what's going on. And so Job maintains this perspective that, that God is the one who's faithful to his promise, that my circumstances are irrelevant to my call to worship. And yet, Job expresses incredible amounts of anguish in these passages. So this is epic poetry. If, you, if, you, if you're reading through the book of Job... At any point, this is epic poetry in an ancient form. Job is probably uh, a contemporary of Abraham, give or take a couple hundred years. We don't know. We don't have dates. Uh, but we can learn from the, the marauding tribes who take all of his stuff that this was a time period before big cities in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And Job uh, is a tribal uh, herdsman. So, all that aside, what we see happen next is Job beginning to respond to his friends and their, their sort of expression of his need to repent. And Job's like, no, no, that's not how this is working. And Job says something in chapter 19 that I, I find incredible every time I read it. So, he's lost everything. His health is gone. His friends are misdiagnosing the situation and applying guilt, shame, and pressure to him. And he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, my heart faints within me. This expression of faith, and I want you to think about this for a minute. This is probably pre-Abraham. And it might be just post-Abraham, but the story of Abraham 
has not unfolded uh, to the extent that we understand it. Job doesn't understand the promise the way we do. He doesn't know how it's going to end. He just knows the one true God is faithful. That's what he knows. And he clings to that at the loss of all else. That's the one thing he has left is the faithfulness of his God. This is a time in world history, these words are written, when there is, except for the Abrahamic line, there is literally no concept of monotheism that is active in the world at this time. So the fact that Job knows the one true God, understands the eternal nature of the one true God, and understands the holy and faithful nature of the one true God is mystifying, historically speaking. But it's not a surprise. You know the same God. Your heart knows the same creator God of the universe that Job knew. Job understood something that literally no one else of his time period understood. Well, maybe Abraham and his family, depending on when Job lived. And just powerful faith in place when it was needed the most. So we're to keep this perspective of the promise. We're to hold to the hope of the promise. We're to worship God in every circumstance. We're to know that the promise is not about prosperity. So you ever turned on your television You've been surfing through the channels back when, before you had like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all that stuff. Um, and you come across a television preacher and, and you, you're curious or whatever, so you just stop long enough for your stomach to turn. Because what, what they might be saying, depending on who you're listening to or watching, is that if, if you do your part, if you're faithful, if you read your Bible and you pray every day and you give to them, then God will bless you. And whatever you give, he'll give back to you threefold. It's you're, you, when you give to the Lord, you're planting a seed. It's a seed of faith. That seed's going to grow and blossom and you're going to be blessed in return like a farmer. And you just listen to it and you're like, you know, everything he or she is saying is coming out of the Bible, but just something doesn't seem right. What that person needs is to sit down and read the book of Job. There are no guarantees in this life. God does not owe me another breath. Thank you. Um, he doesn't owe us anything. And he's not afraid of anything. And Job, in antiquity, understands this. Better than many of us do in real time today. Job understood there are no promises about prosperity in this relationship with God. He gives, he takes, he allows things to come, he allows them to go. And in the wake of it all, he is sovereign. He is holy. He is the one true God. And so let me, uh, let me read this from Job chapter 2, verse 3. This is 
God talking to Satan after Satan has, has taken all of Job's children and all of his livelihood. This is their conversation. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. I want to I just zoom in on those words, without reason. Suffering does not always have a reason. When something bad happens to me, I almost always ask, why? Job tells us, God tells us, right here, there's not always a why. In fact, what happened to Job doesn't have a reason. And, and God says that, not me, God himself. Those are God's words. Suffering does not always have a reason. Sometimes I, I do something stupid and there's a consequence and I can go, oh, I know why I'm suffering because I'm an idiot right? But that's, that's not the way suffering works in the general big scope of things. What, what God is saying is that there's evil in the universe, and I give it free reign to, to, to work. Well, not totally free reign. He still contains it, puts limits on it. But God says, I let evil happen, and in the midst of that, I will prove who I am. We have to understand God is not afraid of the things that we are afraid of. We serve an infinite, eternal, holy God who fears nothing. But the promise that God extends to his people is not about our physical prosperity. Um, Job says in chapter 30, verse 26, But when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light darkness came. What did God say about Job? None like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And it still happened. God doesn't promise us prosperity because of our faith. God promises us his faithfulness regardless of what circumstances may beset us. And the book of Job is a very difficult uh, sort of reset for a prideful human being such as myself. To have to stop and realize, uh, I can't control this man, this, this being, sorry. Um, yeah, he's God and I'm not. So we'll sort of conclude our look at the book of Job in that light that we are to live in the humility of the promise. That is, our good standing is not based on what we do. As Job objects to his life falling apart and sort of calls out, God, where are you? God actually shows up at the end of this book, and he says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, 
if you have understanding. In other words, I'm God. You're not. Sit down and hold on. Um, the message of the book of Job is not a touchy-feely one. It is extremely important theologically that, that we understand who God is and who we are not. Yet, the book of Job is an incredible manifestation of faith in the face of the promise of God under incredibly difficult circumstances. It tells us, it gives shape to the way we respond to tragedy in our own lives. And so we are to worship God no matter what happens. That's one of the messages here. Then the next book in our Bible is the book of Psalms. And another this is another theme, or the worship is again a theme, the theme of this book of the Bible as well. The book of Psalms is just the hymnal of antiquity, of God's people in ancient times. This hymnal was built over, over more than a thousand years, and it was compiled by various people at various times. The, the single greatest contributor to the hymnal was King David of Israel. Um, and so it's often misunderstood, like all, were all the Psalms written by David? No, not even close. Um, he was just one of the contributors. But David was, he was an artist. He was a poet. He had this heart that thought in, in these ways that are expressed through metaphor and love and all these fear and all, these, all the aspects of our humanity are expressed in the Psalms by David and by other authors. Um, there are, if you, if you read like a summary of the book of Psalms, they'll tell you, well, there's, there's five different types of Psalms in the, in the Psalter. And uh, look, here's the way to understand the Psalms. Start in Psalm 1. So the Psalms are a call to worship God in the context of every aspect of life, to remember that the promise of God extends to every single conceivable aspect of human life. Let's just start with, well, where the Psalms start in Psalm 1, and I'll just, this is a little, this is no extra charge, Mike, this is free. So, if you're talking about the collection of songs that's called the book of Psalms, they are plural. The Psalms, plural. If you're talking about one psalm, like the 23rd psalm, that's singular. So Psalm 23 or Psalms 7, 8, and 9. See how that works? Um, just so you sound intelligent, it's what I do. I just sound intelligent. I'm not actually intelligent. I just like to sound that way. Um, but we're going to look at Psalm 1, the first psalm, the first two verses. It says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight 
is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And you can sort of substitute the word word for law on God's word. He meditates day and night. This is the centering point for every psalm. If you want to understand any psalm, start with this one. It will help you orient yourself to every psalm. Psalm 2 is a good sort of bookend to the other, understanding kind of the rest of the perspective of the book of Psalms. So psalm, Psalms 1 and 2 set the tone for the entire collection. They would have been sung repeatedly throughout each person's life at this time period over and over and over as they worshiped God, these two psalms would have been at the forefront of their hearts, their minds, their worship. So let's talk about some of the things that we do through the psalms. We, we, we praise God. First, we make the promise our priority. That's Psalm 1. And I would even say if, if you're going to read, try to read through all the psalms, there's an easy way to do that. Just start on the first of a month. Read Psalm 1. There's 150 psalms in the Psalter. Read Psalm 1. Jump ahead 30 days. And this works best if you have a, a month with 31 days, by the way. Uh, start with Psalm 1. Then jump ahead 30 days. Read Psalm 31. Read Psalm 61, 91, 121. Then on day 2, lather, rinse, repeat. When you get to Psalm 119, skip it that day, save it for the 31st, because it's its own day, trust me. Um, but you can read through the whole Psalter in one month. My recommendation is, is if you're going to do that, every day start with Psalm 1, and then read the day of the week, or the day of the month that you're on that day. But Psalm 1, that's the stuff. That's the heart of the message of the Psalms. We want to get that correct in our hearts first, to make God's promise our priority. And then the Psalms lead us to praise the God of the promise. Psalm 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set the, your glory above the heavens. Our God is to be praised. We are to keep the promise as our priority. We're to praise the God of the promise we are to cry out to the God of the promise. If you're the type of person who likes to categorize all the psalms, this is the greatest, this is the largest category. They're, they're called psalms of lament, psalms of crying out to God. Um, I don't know a human being who's never done this, um, so it's central to the essence of who we are. But this call to cry out, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So this expression of grief, of suffering, of, of discomfort is absolutely the biggest theme in the Psalms. As these authors cry out to God, where are you? Why? Why is this happening to me? Um, and it's a great contrast to the book of Job. 
uh, because you're given a lot more freedom in the book of Psalms to be yourself. Uh, there's one psalm of lament that I will recommend to you. If, if you are just struggling with uh, depression, negativity, you need, you need someone to identify with you where you are at, read Psalm 88. It is a psalm of lament, and it is the only psalm in the collection of psalms that does not end on a positive note. It starts on a positive note, and then it just literally goes off the cliff and into darkness. And the last verse, I love the way that the NIV translates this. The last verse of Psalm 88 says, The darkness is my closest friend. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to know that it's okay to feel this way, to feel just completely devastated, that it's here. That human experience is already expressed in God's inspired word. It's okay to be devastated. Psalm 88 is not the only psalm in the Psalter, right? There are, well, 149 other ones that all end on a positive note. So we don't want to stop at Psalm 88, but please know that this theme of anguish and suffering and crying out and lament is absolutely central to what's going on in the book of Psalms. God loves you. He wants you to know that he cares about everything you feel. And so there it is. So we cry out to him. We praise him. We make his promise our priority. And another collection of Psalms is all about giving thanks to the God of the promise. Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. I don't do this often enough. And I put, I put thanksgiving after lament for a reason. When I can actually sit down and be thankful, it, it speaks to my anguish. It speaks to my suffering. It gives me perspective and balance for everything I'm feeling. And the Psalms do that. They, they spread us out into every aspect of who we are, and they call us to worship God from that place. There's one other category of Psalms that I want to talk about. That's what we're going to do for the last point here. It's this call to look to the one who fulfills the promise. There's, there's a, probably the best way to put this is there are portions of dozens of different psalms, there is a verse here and two verses there, and um, etc., that are forward-looking and hopeful, and those verses are called messianic. They're looking toward the future hope of the Messiah. They tell us something about the nature of the one who will come to atone for our sins and gather us into God's family forever. This is an extremely important portion of the Psalms. One of the things that they do in the midst of all this humanity, this human emotion, there are these little bitty arrows that are saying, look past this. 
Look past the, the here and now. Look to the hope of the Messiah. So we're going to do that in this way. We're going to look at Psalm 22, which is the most messianic psalm. And I'm going to read to you from Psalm 22. I'm going to read you part of verse 1, and then verses 16 through 18. And then we're going to read through a little portion of three different verses in Matthew chapter 27. So from Psalm 22, this is King David writing this. And he's not having a good day, as you might guess. And he begins Psalm 22 with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then several verses later he says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, I'm going to read verses 35, 41, and 46, where it says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's, there's a thousand years or more, a little, more, little over a thousand years, between the time David wrote those words and Jesus fulfilled them on the cross. I don't know about you, but it, it is extremely encouraging to me in my doubt, in my fear, in my humanity, in my suffering, to know that God has been working a plan towards the fulfillment of a promise for thousands of years. He is undaunted. He's unstoppable. He is the creator of this universe. And his love is aimed at your heart. Go ahead. Try to stop him. It won't work. I am always humbled by this God who just persists and persists and persists. He persists through my fears. He persists through my suffering. He persists through my doubts. He persists through everything I feel to prove to me and to you and to all of his people that his promise is eternal and his hope is alive. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled by your word, what it reveals of you, what it calls out of us, what it reveals about who we are and who we are not, and how it draws us back to worship, to worship the God of the promise. 
to see your faithfulness, your goodness, your persistence, your love, your forgiveness, your grace again and again and again. Lord, lift our heads from our circumstances. Help us to worship you in every aspect of life, with every aspect of our humanity, to know that you are the God who created us, that you are the God who extended your promise to us, and that you are the God who fulfills his word and restores our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.
we come this morning to the Lord's table, a table that was promised to God's people since time immemorial and that was set and served to God's people by Jesus Christ on the cross, who is the Lamb of God, who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins, whose body and blood bring us not only forgiveness and atonement, but life and love eternal. Will you listen to these words? Let them prepare your heart for coming to the Lord's table today. And then when you are ready, come forward and take a cup back to your seat, and we will open the uh, wafer side first together and then uh, partake of the wine uh, as well. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And of course, the whole point of this table is that all of God's judgment and wrath against sin was taken by Christ on the cross. We are forgiven. We are free. We are called to life in the love of God. Father God, we pray that you would set apart these elements from their common use and use them to minister your grace to our hearts today. Make them more than what they are and be spiritually present in the midst of this activity that we might be blessed, that we might be renewed, that our souls might be nourished through meeting you here in this way. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you are ready, come forward and get a cup and take it back to your seat, please. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. 
and by night, but I find no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. The body of Christ, which is broken for you, take and eat. blood of Christ, which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, take and drink. God, our Father, we are humbled by the fact that you have done for us that which we could not do for ourselves. You have provided a means for atonement forgiveness, restoration, hope. Father, lift our hearts to the hope that is ours in the fulfillment of your promise that was accomplished by your son on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that it did not end there, that he was raised from the dead and sits now at your right hand to intercede on our behalf, to guarantee that we will be with you forever. We thank you for that blessing. That is all the prosperity we need to know that we are yours forever. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
beautiful message, Tom. Thank you. We're going to um, stand and close in worship with more words from Job. So um, let's sing together.
That's how you do that. Praise God. Praise God. Will you take his blessing from this place? Let it give shape to who you are, to how you live. Let it fill you and surround you and lead you forth into the week ahead. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May you go in his peace. Yeah.